today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. calls out this whole list of sinful attitudes and lifestyle. He says that those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know what the amazing thing is? As he's calling out this list, he's speaking about people that are within the church. Not only church members, but I believe as Paul writes this, he's writing to church members and church leadership at the same time. Not only for then, but even for today. And he tells them very plainly there in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. He says, and such were some of you. Beloved, he's speaking of past tense. Before a Christian experienced new birth, he was a slave to his flesh. He may have been a liar, a thief, rebellious, or been addicted to drugs. He may have put his career or his wants and wishes before the Lord's. However, after submitting to Christ's Lordship, his old way of life was nailed to the cross. In today's message, Pastor David points out that if we continue to habitually practice lawlessness as an unbeliever does, we should very carefully examine ourselves and our hearts to determine if we really and truly belong to Jesus. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, We Ain't What We Want to Be, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. We ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank God, we ain't what we was. There's got to come a time. There's got to come a time, a breaking time in your life as a believer. When your walk in the Lord, your walk and your desire for the things of God are so much stronger than the desires of the flesh, that the flesh becomes weaker well, it becomes less and less and less. The flesh is already weak, okay. But it becomes less and less, and the Spirit of God becomes more and more. Peter goes on to tell us, he says that we've lived like the world for long enough. Verse 3, he says that we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now, I look around the room this morning, and probably some of you might be saying, at least he didn't name my sin. (laughs) And and if that's your attitude, then, then, then you've missed the whole direction, the whole purpose of what he's saying. He's not giving an exhaustive list here, okay? He's just saying that this is kind of a general way that the world lives. You've, you've lived your life long enough living like the world. I love it where, where, where Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to invite you to turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul gives another one of these lists, but please understand again, it's not an exhaustive list of how the world lives. And here, as Paul gives this list of sinful actions, sinful attitudes and lifestyles, 
First Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse nine, one of the first things he speaks, of, he speaks about fornicators and a little bit later adulterers. And, and, and in general, what he's speaking about, those that are caught up in sexual sin of any type, including premarital or extramarital sin. And yes, even pornography and beloved, yes, pornography was even back in that day. One of the other lists that he has there is idolaters. You may not have a little statue at your house that you bow down to or burn incense to, but in reality, idolaters are those who would allow their hearts or their minds to be captivated by anything other than God. Placing that thing or that person before God in their lives. Some may have a spouse in that situation. Some may have wealth in that situation. Some may have their position in in society as that situation. See, idolatry comes in a lot of different forms. It's not just the little statue in at the house and a little shrine, but it's the shrine that we build in our life of anything that comes before our obedience to God. He speaks also in their very uh, politically incorrect, but he speaks about homosexuality and, and sodomites. He doesn't hold back because of the political correctness that we deal with today. He speaks about those that are living homosexual lifestyles and those that are involved in homosexual type activities. He also speaks about thieves and he, he, uh, those individuals that would plan and, and carry out ways to steal or to cheat someone out of what was rightly theirs. Now, a thief is not necessarily someone that comes in your back door while you go out the front. A thief is anyone that would try to take from you something that is not rightly theirs. That can be in business. That can be even in agreements that you have one with another. Stealing, taking from someone else what's not rightly theirs. Along with that is that word covetous. And covetous, again, is that, that deep longing to obtain or a jealousy over another's goods or good fortunes. In other words, uh, if I become so, uh, so enamored over the fact that you've been blessed in an area, then suddenly I've moved from encouraging you in how God has blessed you. I've now moved into a covetousness over what God has blessed you with. And he speaks about that. He speaks about drunkards. And I believe that he's calling out to those who would allow themselves through abuse to be under the control of alcohol. And I believe not only with alcohol, I believe that that abuse also comes in line with both prescription and non-prescription drug use. That when it becomes, again, abusive in our lives, when it becomes controlling in our lives, it takes us out of the area of being in control and puts us under the control of some other substance. He speaks of revilers, those who are verbally or physically abusive to others. And we see that in our society over and over and over. You see, not every woman who is abused by her husband, ends up in a facility like against abuse. Sometimes day in and day out, the verbal abuse that they take. And and Peter's speaking about that very thing. And maybe it's not a husband and wife situation. Maybe it's just how an an individual would would treat another individual. Abusive in language, abusive in, in attitudes, that idea of revilers. And then lastly, he speaks about extortioners. 
And extortioners are those that would be willing to blackmail or terrorize someone to gain advantage over them. And again, a terrorist doesn't need to have dynamite or, or, or explosives strapped to their bodies. A terrorist sometimes just comes in an attitude of a heart, an attitude of the conversation that's being brought out, literally terrorizing people in order to get your way over something. As Paul calls out this whole list of sinful attitudes and lifestyle, he says that those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know what the amazing thing is? As he's calling out this list, he's speaking about people that are within the church. Not only church members, but I believe as Paul writes this, he's writing to church members and church leadership at the same time. Not only for then but even for today. And he tells them very plainly there in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, He says, and such were some of you. Beloved, he's speaking of past tense. He's speaking that's the way you used to live. And I think that we could take that list and somehow within that list, every one of us could say, yeah, that's where I fall. Oh, that's the category where I was. That was my life before Christ. Maybe some can say, hey, I I, I got like uh, three out of the seven I can fall into. Uh, But Paul says, that's the way you were. But now, through Christ, when you've come to faith in Christ, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. A little bit later in that same passage in verse 20, he says, you're bought with a price. And then Paul tells us, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul says, okay, that's the way that we were. Now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. Now go on and glorify the Lord with your body and with your spirit. Thank you, God. We ain't what we was. We ought to be a people who are changed by the power of Christ. Back in First Peter, Peter, and I believe along with what Paul is telling us, Peter in essence says, look, you've lived that kind of a lifestyle long enough. It's time to change. You need to change your focus. You need to change the purpose of your lives. And since the Lord Jesus gave you a new life, He says, now go and live the rest of your life for the glory and for the will of God. And then Peter confirms that reality and he explains why all of your old friends, if you've made that decision, if you've turned that way, why all of your old friends now would reject you. He says in verse 4, back in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, in regard to these, they, again, the non-believers, They think that it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. That old crowd, that non-believers, they just don't get it. They don't understand why in the world would you abandon a lifestyle, a way of life, and, 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 and that is designed, that is purposed. To be nothing but absolute fun. 
to be able to feed the flesh in every possible way that you possibly can. Why in the world would you abandon that to be able to come into a life that to them seems to be oppressive, seems to be full of rules and regulations? Not very much fun at all. The unfortunate thing is there's too many believers that feed upon that attitude because non-believers look at a lot of believers and say, man, if that's what a believer's life is, I don't want some of that. Because they're the, uh, just again, rather than having the joy of the Lord and the fullness of the Lord, they've not entered into that fullness of the Lord. Oh, they might be saved from the past, but they've not entered into the joy of what the Lord has. They see, the non-believers see Christianity as a whole as being nothing more than a form of restriction and in some way just following some superstition. And they do that, beloved, because they don't understand new life in Christ. They don't understand the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the joy of the Lord. They do that. They act that way and they bring mockery and insult to believers and they reject Christianity because they don't understand what true Christianity is, and that it's not about regulations, but it's about relationship. Non-believers look and they don't receive the truth of the word because they can't comprehend what it means to have their sin completely forgiven. My past is gone. He's washed it completely. He was a complete payment for my sin. They don't get it because they don't have the knowledge of the holy. Beloved, you and I's place, position, the calling as pilgrims here in this journey is to be those that cast light upon the darkness of the world that's all around us. They ought to see within us Reality and truth. Yeah, don't ever, don't ever be a fake about it. But they ought to be able to see in us that, that fullness of joy. They ought to be able to see in us that, man, that, that calm assurance that one day he is coming to take us all out of here. They ought to be able to see in us the fact that we can have a full and a complete life without all the partying of the non-believers. Non-believers criticize those that do believe, those that have entered into personal relationship with Christ. They mock those who know and declare that their sin is forgiven. How much more clearly that ought to bring to mind for you and I, that we are strangers here, that we are just pilgrims in this journey, that this world is not our home. We ought to continually understand what that old preacher said. Lord, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank you, God, that we ain't what we was. The world cannot imagine why you and I would leave immorality in order to gain immortality. Beloved, I hope and pray that for each one of you here today, that that is the desire of your heart. Lord, I want to reject that stuff. I want to continually get victory over that. I want to continue to press in to Christ. I want my focus, my mind, my heart to be focused on the things of Christ, not on the things of my flesh, not on the things of this world. And you know what? The world 
will not get it. The world will not understand it. When you and I truly and completely turn and start living our lives to holiness. They won't understand it because they can't understand it. Warren Wiersbe reminds us this way. He says, when unsaved friends attack us, this is our opportunity to witness to them. The unsaved may judge us, but one day God will judge them. So instead of arguing with them, we should be praying for them, knowing that that final judgment that they will stand before is God. And that's what Peter reminds us of here in verse 5, that they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, giving an account. That's a legal term. That's a legal proceeding that's going to take place when they who have rejected the truth of God's love, rejected the truth of God's mercy, have lived their lives away from his holiness, lived their lives in rejection of his righteousness, one day will stand before an awesome a holy, a righteous, all-powerful God. And what will they say? They'll have nothing that they can say. They'll have no excuse that they can bring. They'll have no line that they can come and say, oh, but it was my environment. Oh, it was my background. There's no excuse that will be given when God the Father simply asks the question, what have you done about my son? I've offered forgiveness I've offered mercy. Have you received that gift? This coming judgment, we find it all throughout Scripture, is a time when God's not going to be mocked. Beloved, though his judgment may tarry, you need to understand he's waiting, even as the word tells us, waiting because of his patience, because of his long-suffering, not wishing that any would perish. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that God waited on his judgment of the world until I came to faith. He waited long enough to get my heart and my mind focused on the reality and the truth of who he is. But you know what? I still have family. I still have friends that haven't come to that saving knowledge of Christ. They need to not only hear the gospel, they need to respond to the gospel. They need to respond to it through saving faith. Peter tells us in verse 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, before we came to Christ... The word tells us very plainly that we were dead. We were absolutely dead. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But you he made alive, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the, in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. I, 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 I'm blessed by the point that Paul in, uses that word us and, and we. He puts himself in the same bucket as all of us are. He says, we were all that way, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. 
And he says it's still in Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God. And don't you love that phrase, but God. In the midst of all of our calamities, in the midst of all of our wrong directions, God steps in. God interjects himself into our lives, not because we were looking for him, but because of his great love for us. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By God's grace, you've been saved. The gospel needs to continually be preached, even to those who are still dead in their trespasses and sin, in order that they might come alive through the Spirit to be able to receive the fullness of the gospel hope that's there, the message of the hope of the gospel. Beloved, for you and I in our journey, we were dead, but now we've been made alive. We were destined for judgment, but now we're destined for eternity. And I believe that every one of us who know the Lord Jesus this morning would say that we're very glad that the gospel was preached to us. That gospel was preached to us maybe by a grandmother that loved us enough to share the gospel with us. Maybe it was preached to us by parents who loved us and loved the Lord enough to share with us the gospel. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher who volunteered his time Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to go and teach a group of third grade boys. Ay, ay, ay. What a rowdy bunch that was. But yet because of his consistency of pouring the hope of the gospel in. Maybe it was through a television or a radio program. Maybe it was at a big crusade. Maybe it was at a church meeting not too unlike this morning. That you came to faith in Christ because you realized the desperateness of your sin. The reality of the the final judgment that you would stand before because of your sin. And when you heard that, the Holy Spirit pricked your heart, brought to your attention the reality of the grace and the mercy that God offers to whosoever would call upon his name. And at that point in time, you came to Christ. But perhaps this morning, you're here and you never took that step. You never took that final step of saying, Lord, I, I now understand your grace and your mercy. Lord, I, I now understand the emptiness of my past and even of my present. And I understand the possibility of the emptiness of my future, that the more I pour myself into the world, the emptier it is. Lord, would you take this beaten, damaged, cracked life and make it new again? You see, that's what God's desire is for you. If you've not come to that place in your life where you've given your heart and life to Christ and you continue to find pleasure in the world, the word says, man, you've done that long enough. It's time to stop. It's time to see the grace and the mercy of God. For you and I as believers, you've lived in the past long enough. You've allowed the things of the past, the habits of the past, to control your life long enough. It's time to say, Lord, this far and no more. I want you to reign and rule in my heart, not my flesh. Lord, I want to be able to say, I ain't what I want to be. I may not be what I ought to be. And I know I ain't what I'm going to be. Thank you, Lord, that I ain't what I was. 
Standing strong in the midst of persecution is a theme throughout the New Testament. Many of the newly created churches faced opposition from the world around them and were in danger of turning away from their faith due to these confrontations. It isn't a surprise that the book of 1 Peter also addresses this subject. Peter wanted to encourage new believers and remind them of the truth they had learned, that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of every person on earth. Sadly, persecution didn't die out through the ages. The enemy is still doing his best to derail the message of the gospel. Today, we want you to be encouraged as well. As a follower of Jesus, you will face persecution sooner or later. Stand firm in your faith, leaning on Jesus' truth for your source of strength and comfort. One way you can find support and encouragement in any season of your life is by getting involved in a local church. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.